five. Yeah, we're good. All right, everybody, let's get back to our seats. Uh, a few folks will be back in just a second. Uh, I cannot believe it is already the 4th, or tomorrow will be the 4th of July. It's crazy how fast June has zipped by. Uh, listen, we're going to be finishing up a, uh, a series that we've been studying. We've been studying 2 Timothy, chapter, uh, the whole chapter. Can you hear me okay? A little bit of... Okay. Um, so we're going, to be, we're going to be finishing that up today. Let me invite you to turn with me uh, in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, it's four chapters. We've been going through each one over the last several weeks. The main significant thing about this particular <clears throat> chapter or this particular book and letter is it is uh, the scholars say that it was most, pro it was most likely Paul his last letter to write, okay? The Apostle Paul's final letter to write, and he wrote it, obviously, to Timothy. And one of the things that, that, that his, the anthem of this letter is, is, a, is a word of encouragement. And he wrote it to encourage Timothy and everyone else, the church, to really to be faithful, to remain faithful uh, in this unfaithful world. And last week, chapter 3, was really kind of the pinnacle of this whole letter, that we went through last week. I highly encourage you, if you were not here last week, or perhaps even if you were, to go back. Go to our website, newlifechurchofjackson.org. I really believe the Holy Spirit uh, gave some good revelation. We always give good revelation. It's always on how it's said. Uh, but both, I think, worked good last week. And, and I really believe it will help give you some clarification, understanding about these last days that we live in that as Paul described them as dark and difficult times, to say the least. And so we're going we're gonna to wrap up today, chapter 4, and here's the thing about this last part, the final part of the letter. Think about a letter that you would write somebody, and you may, you know, you, you start out, you write it, you put in the good stuff in the middle, and then the end, the end is, is where Paul really kind of begins to really amp up his, his charge. Uh, to Timothy and what he wants Timothy and what he wants us uh, to get out of this. His, he becomes really adamant about something. And you can see it right here in, in what he writes. Uh, it's going to be on the screen as well if you don't have it, your Bible to look at. But 2 Timothy chapter 4, talking about remaining faithful in an unfaithful world. Let's look at verse 1. Paul says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up his kingdom. Verse 2, he says, Preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not, patiently correcting, rebuking, and encouraging your people with good teaching. With good teaching. Let's pray over the word. Father, today I thank you for what you have to say. You've already have begun doing so much already in our service this morning, drawing our hearts to you, giving us a sense of trust, a greater trust that we can have with you, not holding on to things that we don't need to keep, but holding on to more of you. And now as we get into your word, I pray you would speak to us even more 
discreetly to our hearts and intentionally to our spirits to what you have for our lives. Help us to understand it now. Be free of distraction and disruption. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that through this word, that our lives would line up more with God and we would walk in great strength and great faithfulness, perhaps more than we ever have before, I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody agree? Say amen. Amen. So Paul, more adamant to Timothy, and here's what he starts out by saying. He says, in closing this letter, he says, I solemnly urge you. That's one of the most, perhaps the highest forms of language that we could use to say to somebody to get them to understand and to receive and to actually apply what it is that we're trying to get across to them. Okay, we don't use that language today. You don't speak to your kids. I solemnly urge you. You know, we don't say it that way. We more or less say, you better get yourself right or I don't know what, you know, or something. Maybe you don't talk that straight to like me, but I don't know. I need help in that area. But Paul says, I solemnly urge you, solemnly urge you. And he says, in the presence of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul, is in closing out his letter to Timothy and to us, he's saying, uh, it's 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 the, one of the highest charges you can give somebody. Paul is doing this right here, and he's saying, "I I earnestly affirm and charge you." Everybody say me. He's talking to you, talking to me, he's talking to us, and he's saying, "I solemnly urge you, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus." And he goes on to say, who someday he will return and judge and set up his kingdom. And so, someday, it implies a time frame. At that point in time, when it was written, this letter again, written by Paul, last letter to ever write, was written from, from prison, all right? Written from prison, and uh, shortly before Paul was executed, put to death, not for stealing a camel, but for preaching the gospel. All right? And it was his final letter. And, he, and this is, it's like, this is, Paul's trying to take as much of himself out on this, in this letter as he can. And it's like his last will and testament to Timothy and the church. It's like if, he, if Paul could just take his inside soul out and put it out there, this is what he's trying to communicate and, and, and reiterate and affirm to to people is like I solemnly urge you with everything I got I'm coming before you and I'm in your face Timothy and I'm in your face church to tell you before God himself who will someday he's coming back in other words time is of the essence all right he will someday return no one knows when but it will happen someday and the thing is because we don't know when that will happen we got to live like it will happen today is what he's getting at can you imagine if we live like that every day of our lives? If we live like today's the day that Jesus is going to return on this earth? Can you imagine what we would be doing with ourselves? We wouldn't be doing half the stuff you and I do today, right? The church would be full. There would not be room enough for Christians in a church house. The lost would be drawn, you know what I'm saying? But he says, someday, time is of the essence. In other words, we don't have the luxury of waiting 
on something to happen. We need to be busy doing it right now. Busy living what he's called us to live. And so that's what Paul's getting at. He sets this closing part up as an anthem, as a declaration, as a charge to say, I solemnly urge you. I don't know what you've been doing with your life, but from now on, here's what I'm leaving you with. You need to be doing what God has called you to do. And for Timothy in verse 2, he said it's preach the word. For Timothy, it was to be a preacher and to be a pastor of a church. For him, it was to do that. But for you and I, here's what I would say it applies to us. And that is, every one of us has something that God has called us to do. Every single one of us. Every single one of you have something that God has called you to do. And so with that understanding, we could take Paul's letter and we can hear it in our own ears. I solemnly urge you before God. In other words, Timothy, what I'm about to tell you is this statement that I'm about to give you is straight from the throne room of the King of Glory himself. It's as if God himself is speaking to you, is saying this to you. And so he says, Timothy, I urge you because someday... He will be back, and at that point in time, it's over with. Whatever you were put on earth to do, no longer is valid because now time has changed, and he is here to set up his new kingdom on this earth. And he says, for you, I give you this charge. This is what you're called to do, Timothy. Preach the word. I can almost see that as like he, he's, he's standing before him, and, he's, and, he, and, he, and he just has this, 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 I don't know, it's like this... In, if you can just think of the most energetic person in the world, Paul is standing before him and he says, I urge you, preach the word. I don't care what you've been doing with your life from now on. Get busy doing what I want you to do. You know, sometimes God speaks like that because sometimes we're hard of hearing and sometimes we are Mm, what's the word? Lazy. And we have a million excuses, right? Because Paul touches on that too. He goes on, he says, hey, be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Be engaged, be ready, be on guard, living your purpose, whether the Time is favorable or not. Whether anybody agrees with you or not, whether people get you or not, whatever is going on in your situation, whether you got all the money in the world or no money in the world, you need to be busy living your purpose. Whether everybody is sympathetic to you or they're not sympathetic to you, whether they understand your feelings or not, we live in a very sensitive world these days. You don't blink twice and somebody screams something at you. And Paul is telling, telling him, I solemnly urge you. I charge you with the most power that I know available, and that is from God himself who is telling you, preach the word. In other words, live your purpose. Whatever it is you're created for, every single one of us, God has created us for something. And it will always have attached to it the preaching of the word with our life. It might not always be in the form of a Bible in a pulpit and a congregation, but it will be involved. It will always involve somehow us preaching God's word 
with our life. Always. And so Paul is adamant here. He's giving his final thoughts here. He's putting it all on a line because what has he got to lose? He's in prison. He, I mean, Timothy could get mad at him. Timothy could take this, uh, take offense at like, Paul, don't you get me, brother? I've been doing this, man. Why are you harping on me? Why, what are you doing? What are you getting all on my back for? And Paul is getting him and hoping that he will get this just like any pastor would hope their church gets this, that we solemnly urge you, live your purpose for what you were created for. Can you imagine a church that every person involved in that church was living what they were created to do by God? There would be no counseling meetings. There would be no prayer calls as, I, 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 you know, I've got this or I've got that. You know what the most conversation will be? Is, man, I'm trying to just figure out how to actually do everything that God's wanting me to do. I'm so busy living my life. It won't be, I need money to pay for this. I need to figure out how God's going to help solve this issue in my life. It will be, man, I need prayer because I need the strength to accomplish what God wants me to do. Get it? Our monetary, earthly, physical, materialistic problems fade when we are actively engaged in God's purpose for our life. We don't think about sinning when we're talking about winning souls. Right? We don't, we don't think about the nonsense that you and I get caught up in in this life when we're actively engaged living our purpose for God. Because so, somehow that just seems to fall to the wayside. And Paul knows that. And Paul's getting Timothy to understand that because Timothy has a church, a congregation to preach to, to tell them. With all authority, live your purpose. Why is that so important? Why should we give a flip about living our purpose? Why should we care about doing what we have been created to do by God? Because look at verse 3 and 4. He says, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. All of that has been going on and is happening today. It says they will reject the truth and they will chase after myths. All of that is happening right now in our day and time, right? People no longer wanting to listen to the truth. People following their own desires. People just wanting to hear what will tickle and itch their ears. What, in other words, whatever makes me happy, and you don't ever tell me anything that's wrong, then I'm all good with that, right? They will reject truth, chase after myths. All that stuff is going on. What's so the big deal about that? It's just life. It is life. But here's the key word in that, people. People. People's the key word. You are people, I are people. There's people. It's over 7 billion people. Why? There's lost people. There's confused people. There's hurting people. There's some broken people. There's some hungry people. 
There's some homeless people. There's some rich people. There's some poor people. People. That's why this matters. Because God's heart breaks for people. People are the only ones in all of creation that were created in the image and likeness of God. Nothing else. No other creature, no other form, only man and woman, people created in the image and likeness of God. And we were created to have fellowship with God. And when man is not in fellowship with God, people suffer. That's why God is the answer. Through Jesus Christ, He's the remedy. He's the solution. He's the healer of those who are sick. He's the savior of those who are lost. He's the forgiver of those who need it. He's the way maker in people's life where it does not appear to be a way. How does that happen? God. How did your life change? God. Didn't, wasn't it just last year you were, you were on your knees crying and begging to know love and acceptance and freedom from your addiction? How are you walking like this now and talking like this now and living like this now, God? Why? Because God is the one who created us and God is the one who fixes us through Jesus Christ. People. That's why it is so important for Christians to remain faithful in this unfaithful world because God counts on us. I know that's like, you know, you got to have a PhD to get that. I understand that. But it's never changed. He's always done that. And he will continue to do that. That's why it's so vital. Christians displaying the truth with our lives is what will bring salvation, revival to this nation. Christians crying out to God. Christians selling themselves out to God. Christians living holy before God. Like that last song we sang, I give all of my life to you. All of my world. You know, that's what will bring change. It, there's not some mathematic formula of how to do it, how to bring it. It's simple, yet it's one of the hardest things to do because of the world you and I live in. But this is why we have to be reminded of words like this. I know they don't make us shout and jump chairs and run around a gym be like, oh, the Lord was good to me. But it does stick to our soul. It does bear weight to our spirit. And it brings change to our life. Amen? That's what happens. So, how? He goes on. You guys got a few more minutes? All right. Verse 5, how we do this thing. 
How can we do this? Paul's saying, look, right here, verse 5, but you, say me. Uh, not everybody said it, say me. He says, you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Keep a clear mind in every situation. In other words, it's not always about how you and I feel as much as it is about what you and I perceive. Because Lord knows half the days I don't feel saved. Yeah, is that all he said? There's more? Lord, help me. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of times I don't feel what I'm supposed to feel. But it's not about feel. It's about seeing, perceiving faith in what God says. Because the Lord knows, you and I know, there is a battle between what we feel and what we know is right up here. Amen? We know that, but which one wins? Which one walks away with their hand held in the victory stance? The way we feel or what we know is to be real? The way we perceive. So Paul says, keep a clear mind in a few situations. Just those that you feel like being, you know, having something good to happen. No, he says every situation in your family, in your marriage, have a clear mind. In your, with your children, have a clear mind. That just, seems, that just seems to be where I struggle the most these days is with my kids. Telling our leaders before service, I don't know what it's like to be a preacher's kid because I didn't grow up that way, but Lord, help me with mine. Who are, I want to make sure I do this thing the right way. Because I want them growing up to love the church. I want them to grow up loving, you know, and respecting their elders in the church. I want them loving and, and wanting to, to love and serve God in the house of God. I don't want them angry and mad and distant because dad was this or that. I want to be the same here as I am at home. And let me just tell you, some days that don't happen. Some days my flesh gets the best of me. Okay? But I want to have a clear mind in every situation. See, Timothy was, I'm a lot like him because he was put into, he was young and he was put into pastoring a, a, a big church. I, I grew ours from 500 down to about 150. But to say he's making a comeback. Because this ain't where we stay in. This is just passing through time. All right? I believe that. I know that. I see that. God is, I've been to the mountaintop. I know there's more than what God wants to do through New Life Church. He says, keep a clear mind in every situation. Here's what that can also mean is this. Don't lag behind God and don't get ahead of God. See, when you keep a clear mind, you can see right. You can see accurately situations. You know the situation because you keep a clear mind. You see where God is in the middle of it. Therefore, you're not going to lag behind Him and you're not going to get ahead of Him. In whatever situation it is, you keep a clear mind. Therefore, you stay calm and collected in your spirit. Amen? How, do you be, how can you be faithful in this world that's crazy and all this stuff going on? How can you do that? Keep a clear mind. Don't get crazy. Don't jump 
to crazy beliefs. Don't jump on the bandwagon of what a lot of people might say. Maybe you got to turn off the news occasionally and figure out God ain't in the news. At least not that one. Figure out where God is right here. What does he have to say? Then he goes on, he says this, don't be afraid of suffering. Gosh, he talks about this a lot. I know it's almost overbearing sometimes as much as Paul talks about this, but it's a reality of life. Hardship, we go through it. He says, endure this. He talks about it in chapter 1, verse 8. He said, so he says, when, with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer for me. He says it in chapter 2, verse 3. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier. Says it in chapter 3, verse 11. You know how much persecution and suffering or hardship I have endured. He talks about it a lot. Look at what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 43 that he talks about this. He says, when you go, when you go through deep waters. The enemy himself can't take your purpose unless we're willing to let him have it. And so we have to be diligent to remain faithful. The enemy uses hardship to get us to quit. Anybody ever wanted to quit before? Maybe it got real hard at home, wanted to quit that. Maybe it got hard at your job, wanted to quit that. Maybe it got hard in life with faith. You're like, I don't get it. Just ready to turn the keys over and beam me up, Scotty. Get out of here. He wants us to quit. Or he, if he can't get us to quit, then here's what he tries to do, get you to slow down. Get you to slow down. In other words, to get off pace with the rhythm of the Holy Spirit. When your life feels unbalanced, you feel kind of off your game, so to speak, if you want to put it that way, it's the enemy working in your life to get you to slow down, not in a good way, slow down from wanting to achieve and fulfill what you've been put on earth for. You see, when God allowed you and I to be born, He allowed us to be born with purpose. He allowed you and I to be born for a reason from heaven. And the enemy knows that. And so he'll get hardship. He'll, you, your life will go through stuff. We'll go through things. But here's the key. Endure. Don't quit and don't slow down. Keep going. How? The help of God, the help of the Holy Spirit, the church, the family of God. We've talked about all these in this whole series. Then he says this, he says, work at telling others the good news. Man, the worst time to tell somebody some good news is when you got bad news going on, right? That's like the hardest time. You got everything happening in your life. If anything could go wrong, it's going wrong. And, and, and that's the hardest time to look somebody else in the face and tell them some good stuff. Lord. Why? It's the nature of who we are as people. But how does the kingdom of God operate? Not the same as the world operates, the way our flesh operates. And he says, if you need it, sow it. You need some encouragement? Go tell somebody something good. Now I know that's capital G, 
in capital N for good news, the word of God, the good news, the gospel. The, the whole thing is full of good news. And he's telling Timothy, you've got to work at telling others this good news. In other words, it ain't going to come easy for you. It's not just going to, you're not just always going to wake up in a good mood. Somebody's going to eat your Cheerios that you had set aside. Somebody's going to eat that last Pop-Tart that you were craving at 2 a.m. You know, I can't wait till the alarm goes off because I want that Pop-Tart. Or that cinnamon roll that was homemade and got that good icing on it. You know, I can't wait to pop that in the oven and have me some coffee or whatever and be on my day. And somebody, one of your kids, gets up before you and is like, ooh, there's a Pop-Tart and there's a cinnamon roll. I'm going to eat that today. And it just sets your whole mood off, right? You, we don't always wake up in the right mood, in the right frame of mind. We wake up with dreams and bad dreams and nightmares and different things going on from the week and the days before, but it ain't always going to be that way. And so Paul says, you got to work at it, man. you got to work at it. you got to be a good bringer of good news, right? Because Lord knows this world is full of bad news. Try this. If you go out to lunch today, this week, the waiter, the waitress, whomever, the table next to you, look at their countenance, look at their face, their demeanor, the way they're walking, carrying themselves. Try to find something good, to think of something good to tell them. Tell them something good. And you know what would even be better is if you leave a good tip. They really appreciate that. Even if they were lousy. That's hard to do when they're lousy. But when you do, you just never know what they woke up to. Just work at bringing good news. And then he says this, he says, fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. Fully carry it out. Fulfill it. Accomplish your purpose. In other words, you're not going to be okay with not fulfilling what you were put on earth for. And a.k.a. the translation, the last few, six, seven, and eight, Paul says it this way. He says, okay, I've told you it that way. Now let me tell you it this way in my life. He says, as for me, he says, my life is over, verse six. He said, my life is over. It's already been poured out as an offering. The time of my death is near. In other words, Timothy, I'm not telling you anything that I have not already done, that I have been where you are, and I know what it's like. And friend, I want to tell you something. When you are in that place, when you have been where somebody else is, that gives you the power to share your story with their life. Why do you think you don't go through stuff just to go through it? No, God gets you through something so you'll have a testimony to tell somebody else, hey, I've been there, I've done that, I've been where you are, and look where God has brought me. And I want to tell you that if you will trust Him and follow Him and do what He expects, you too will make it. Amen. Right now the battle is raging, the battle is hard, it is difficult in some of your lives, and there's been some horrific things happen to you, you've got burden after burden after burden on you, but the Lord wants to tell you that if when you are at that place where you have been where somebody else has been and you will carry on and get faithful and remain faithful, you can look back and look over and see where somebody else is and you can help them get where they need to be. Because it's people. And right now in your mind, you might, some of you are thinking, I don't even see a way out of what I'm in. 
I don't even see the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel. I don't know even if it's going to happen for me. Friend, I want to tell you, hang on to what Paul says here in verse 7. He says, I have fought the good fight. Key words there, fought. Fought. Fought the good fight. In other words, he said, Timothy, I have struggled. I have contended and I have strived through all of life's issues for me. And I'm still here. I'm still here. I have fought the good fight. And then he says, look, Timothy, I have finished the race. I have completed and fulfilled my assignment, my command, my purpose. I did it. I might have not done it perfectly. I made mistakes along the way, but I, did, I didn't stop. And then he said, I have remained faithful. I have remained faithful. I, was, I stayed true to myself. I stayed true to my God. I stayed true to my family. I stayed true to my faith. I did not compromise. If I compromised, I probably would have had it easier. I probably would have had more. I probably could have had a lot of things that this world looks at and says, look at Paul, man. That guy has it going on. He has all these people, he has all these awards, he has all these accolades, he's been invited to all the top conferences. I mean, look at what he drives, and look at where he lives. He said, if I would have compromised, yeah, I could have had a lot of other things that people think are important, but I did not compromise. Instead, I had shipwrecks, I was destitute, I was washed up on all kinds of islands without food. I stuck my hand in a fire pit and got bit by a snake. Oh, but it didn't kill me. I was dragged outside of a city and I was stoned. They thought I was dead. I got up, walked right back into the town and said, here I am. Can you see this? But people don't pay any attention to all the stuff you go through. They think when you go through stuff, you got problems. They think because you walk around with a brace on your hand and a limp to your step, well, she got issues. They think when you get rolled out of a car and almost die, and think, man, you just must be a terrible person. They think when you give up certain things that God gives you, that life must be over for you. They think when people die in your life that you love and you got to care for them and things are crazy that you just must have some real problems. They think when you're falsely accused and slandered and told, well, this shouldn't happen or that should happen against you, that you must be a liar or a thief or not, you don't have good character or integrity. You see, when you're going through stuff, people don't, a lot of people don't want to be around you. You find out who your true people are, right? When you're rolling, when you're going through dirt, you find out who's there for you. And that's what Paul's getting at, Timothy. He's getting him set up because this stuff won't preach on TBN these days. 
and get you all the money in the world and all that stuff. You see, he's getting Timothy set up to say, look, it ain't about the mansion. It ain't about what you have. It's not about your anything else. Listen, it is about you being true to your God. And whatever God wants to give you and bless you with, then you give him all the glory and you give him all the credit. Because I am not anti-blessed. I like having a house to live in that the air condition works and the roof ain't falling in. I like having a car that works that I don't have to put a lot of money into. Don't get me wrong. I like having some money in my wallet. I wish I always had more. Here's the deal. It's about who you chase. Amen. It's about who you're going after and why you're doing it. fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith, and here, oh, here's the payout, verse 8. And now, look at verse 8, and now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord himself, the righteous judge, the Lord himself, Rashad, is going to give you the crown of righteousness. It says, the Lord himself, which the Lord will give me, St. Peter, St. Paul, they might watch the Lord. The Lord. Who? Anyone who is eagerly looking forward to his appearing. In other words, those who are remaining faithful. See, sometimes being faithful, remaining faithful ain't sexy. It don't draw the ratings. It doesn't break it doesn't break the bank at box office nights. People don't pay money for faithfulness. They pay to see infidelity. They pay to see people bypass the process, shortcut the process to get what they think is theirs. How'd you get that bling? Well, I did this and I did that. You mean you weren't faithful? That's cool. I want to do it your way. You know, how'd you get that? Oh, man, I was steady. I was straight. I was sturdy. I was on my knees praying. I was reading my Bible. I was in my church, and I was faithful to God. What, son? That ain't the way to do it. Let me tell you, though, how long did it take you to get there? My whole life. My whole life. Paul, my whole life. Holy Spirit wants to put an exclamation mark on that right there today. My whole life. Everybody look at me. My whole life. Everybody get eyes on me. My whole life. Not just in my 20s and 30s, but when I was 70 and 80 and tired and lonely and nobody around me. My whole life. When I didn't have the invitations anymore and the places to go anymore, I was my whole life. 
When I'm alone in prison and everybody deserted me and everybody left me and people turned their back on me and I didn't have anybody around, it was my whole life. Because that's how Paul really closes this thing out in the last eight, nine verses. He says you need to have a complete dependency on God because he says people will desert you, people will betray you, people will stab you in the back and people say they're for you but they're not with you. They say they're riding with you, but they're dirty. And he says, how, Timothy, my whole life? Because I always depended on one and one alone, the Lord. He says, I stood before the judge and there wasn't a soul to stand with me and tell, tell the judge he's okay. He's got good character. He's, in, he's got some integrity. No, he didn't, he didn't lie to nobody. No, he didn't steal from nobody. No, he's just trying to do right. Not one stood with me, Paul said. Come on, you got a minute or two? Not one stood with me. Anybody know what it's like to have nobody with you at all? Nobody trusts in you? Nobody believe in you? Nobody take your side for anything? And all you can do is stand there? And take it, and you can't tell anybody else about it. But he said, The Lord stood with me. The Lord strengthened me. And then he said, And the Lord delivered me out of every evil attack. So, what, is, what should we take away lastly out of this letter? To be faithful. Depend on God. It's nice to have people. The church is there to be for there to be there for each other. Yep. Sometimes we we fail. Sometimes we, we make mistakes. Right? Yep, half of you got it. Good. You do. Everybody makes mistakes. But he says, Timothy, as hard as this might get for you, depend on God. He's the only one who can really strengthen you, stand with you, and deliver you.